Hello and welcome to Ask the Experts, a podcast from Pennington Choices, providing property surveying, consultancy and project management services to organisations nationwide. Good afternoon. My name's Lee Woods and I'm Operations Director for Pennington Choices. Uh, welcome to our podcast today. I have some great colleagues of mine with me today who are going to share their insight into all things building safety. So I will hand over to my colleagues to individually introduce themselves and then I'll set the scene. So Jim, would you like to go first? Yes, uh, my name's uh, Jim Hutton. I'm the Head of Fire Safety for Pennington Choices. Michael? Hi, I'm Mike Kelly. I'm the Head of Project Management and Building Safety at Pennington Choices. Latrice? Thanks, Lee. I'm Latrice Thomas. I'm a Senior Consultant at Pennington Choices. Brilliant. So we've got three fantastic experts who are going to give you their insight today. So we're going to discuss the practical steps that housing providers and other building owners should be taking to ensure that they are ready and able to comply with the requirements of the new Fire Safety Act 2021, the Fire Safety England and Regulations 2022, due to come into law in January 2023, and the new Building Safety Bill due to come into law in April 2023. And for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to cover this subject matter for in-occupation buildings as opposed to new developments. So, Jim, can we start with the Fire Safety Act and the Fire Safety England Regulations 2022? My understanding is that landlords and building owners should by now have started to adapt their approach to the risk assessment of buildings. And in addition to this, they will need to start enhancing the management practices and operations within these buildings once the new law comes into force in January 2023. So I think it would help, Jim, if firstly you could perhaps briefly explain how landlords should be adapting their approach to risk assessment. Yeah, thanks, Lee. Um, first of all, um, we obviously at Pension Choices recognise that it's a challenging time for landlords. There's so many different changes in regulations, the Fire Safety Act, Fire Safety England regulations, Building Safety Act. It's really difficult to. So what we're trying to do is try and make it um, through this podcast, I suppose, very easy for them to understand and digest and give them some headline news, really. So basically, if we take it from the back, from the, the Fire Safety Act 2021, which most landlords should be uh, including in their fire risk assessments, which basically meant that flat front doors and external wall systems are part of their, should be included in part of their risk assessments, their fire risk assessments. So that's kind of the really simple thing under the uh, Fire Safety Act uh, 2021. The more kind of, uh, I suppose, challenging, you would say, is the Fire Safety Regulations uh, England 2022, which comes in full soon, 23rd of January um, 2023. It's kind of really in three sort of phases. Um, there's some requirements based around uh, the size and height of the building. Um, that's really something that it kind of goes from, from the ground upwards. There's something that you must do for all buildings. So all buildings, you must the uh, landlords must give sort of information uh, to residents about fire safety instructions. And they should also should give them uh, information for regarding fire doors but that's for all their buildings then we kind of go and hit the first what we call i suppose threshold milestone if you want to is for buildings that are 11 meter to 17.9 meters 
So effectively, what that means you have to do, the things we previously discussed about information and actually information about fire doors and what their responsibilities, making sure they don't wedge things open and various different things like that. Then it moves on to more formal fire door checks, um, which fire door checks, um, most people are going, oh, how are we going to manage this? How are we going to discuss this? So simplistically, the fire door um, checks are, your flat front doors should be done uh, annually. Yes, well, and even those flats have got leaseholders, it's kind of best endeavours. You've got to try and do your best to understand what the front, front doors are. And then quarterly checks on your kind of communal fire doors. So a lot of our clients are already concerned at how they're going to manage to deal with these issues. But what we try and say to them, build on your existing processes and procedures that are in place. So if you've got block inspections, estate management officers going around and looking around the buildings, just make sure you capture and cooled the fire door checks in the communal areas. That doesn't mean a fire door check. It's more of a functional check to actually make sure it closes, there's no damage. And that's what I think some of the issues are around uh, the concerns from clients are that they're not going to be able to manage that. But what we're trying to say to them is use kind of your existing processes and enhance that. And actually, more importantly, capture the information you know, which is auditable, which is really, really important for regulators uh, and enforcement authorities. So then that's kind of move on from sort of to the next sort of kind of level of building, if you want height wise, um, is residential buildings at 18 metres or seven storeys above. So you have to kind of do all the things we just discussed. Plus, you need to kind of uh, provide secure information boxes, which is you may have seen them on the outside of buildings. So that's for use of the fire and rescue service. They must kind of know really what's on the outside and the design of their external wall systems. External wall systems, traditionally people have just cladding, but it could be um, the window systems that, you know, anything that would be classed as external wall system, they need to have to understand that. For floor plans and the building, you know, ultimately the fire and rescue service wants them to be able to utilize floor plans when they go to the premise information boxes or secure information boxes they want to know where all their equipments uh, they're going to be required to use maybe like dry risers um lifts firefighting lifts you know all that kind of thing and then probably one of the last things that a lot of um people are kind of struggling is wayfinding signage and what that means to them you know some people say they've got some signage but does it comply so there's all these kind of lots of information and lots of things that are, are out there for um, clients to kind of digest. And one of the things that's probably caused some concern is that the government has obviously issued a number of fact sheets regarding these particular subject matters, but then they say further guidance will be delivered in uh, later in, in 2022. But when we look at now, it's kind of getting on towards October. You know, there's not a long, uh, lot of time between now and when the regulations come in into force, really. So what we're kind of advising clients to do is actually going back to basic things is what do you know about your buildings? Do you actually know the height of your building? That's a real simple thing that a lot of clients don't understand. So from that kind of perspective and how are you going to pull this information to, together to actually um you know, if the, the regulators would be the fire and rescue authorities, how are they going to pull that information together to make it usable? And actually, you know, how's that going to sort of influence their fire risk assessments and automation? So there are, there's lots and lots of information out there, but I, 
the, the thing that um, the fact sheets do, they signpost you, say, particularly for a, like something like wayfinding signage, to the building regulations. You know, there's not a one-stop shop of information, but that's where um, ourselves at Pennington's can help you kind of navigate through that sort of journey. Um, again, if we look at secure information box, there's a kind of recommended standard which has been developed by, developed by the Fire Industry um, Association and the National Fire Chief Council. But people don't are going to have to go from one document to another document, and it can become really confusing. So what we're trying to do is, with our clients and that, is try and help them break it down into sort of bite-sized chunks. What, what have you got? What, what are any gaps we've got? And how can we support you? So, you know, we really, really do understand it's challenging times for clients, but our kind of, I suppose, approach is to try and actually be their trusted, valued expert, you know, where we can kind of give them the advice that they need to make sure, one, they meet the regulations, but two, the, they share that information with the residents and that actually the buildings can be as safe as possible. So that's kind of a bit of a, a whistle stop tour, Lee. I probably could take the rest of the podcast going into uh, <laughs> different standards and site sizes of signs and you know specifications, but I don't think that's probably for another day. Yeah, indeed, Jim, indeed. I mean, in, in terms of summary there, my understanding of what you've just uh, set out there, Jim, is that in terms of the Fire Safety Act, landlords should now, under their risk assessment process, be looking at those additional features that Jim outlined as part of the fire risk assessment. So on a practical level, check your fire risk assessments. Do they contain the checks that you now need to undertake in relation to the Fire Safety Act? It's a quick practical step. And if you're unsure, please contact us, we'd be happy to help. And in terms of the um, new operations and practices that will need to be introduced by landlords and building owners in order to comply with the new regulations in January, there are a number of key things that Jim has outlined there around having premises information boxes, having floor plans, building plans, wayfinding signage, etc. As a landlord, you need to make sure that you have uh, management and operation arrangements in place to be able to deal with those things. So again, if you're currently behind the curve and need some support in putting those programmes of activity together, um, we'd be only too happy to help. So if we move it on and we start to talk about the Building Safety Act itself and how perhaps landlords need to be preparing for that, I'm going to sort of hand over to Mike and Latrice. Um, we are supporting a number of clients with their buildings, which will fall into scope of the Building Safety Act. And we're essentially helping them build up their understanding of the risks within each building in two distinct phases. So we're describing this as the technical surveying phase, followed by stage two or phase two, the development and production of both the building safety case for the building and ultimately uh, the building safety executive summary report, which landlords and building owners will need to submit to the building safety regulator. So I'm gonna ask Mike first, can you perhaps explain the process we are assisting clients with at the moment to gather all the required technical surveying information that they will require in order to develop a comprehensive risk profile of the building, both in relation to the structure of the building and in terms of its ongoing operation and management. So what are those building blocks we're asking um, landlords 
um, to put into place as part of development of the building safety case. Thanks, Lee. Um, I suppose, as Jim said, we could take the rest of the podcast to talk about this element as well. Um, but we're going to summarise very swiftly what some of the key foundation, the foundations and building blocks are to help building owners and landlords get into a really good position regards to these forthcoming changes. Many of the buildings that we're working with, um, buildings we're working on with, with our clients are occupied buildings. Um, some of them are newer buildings. A lot of them are older buildings. And predominantly with these older buildings, there is a lack of information about the building, both when it was built and over time as the building has been refurbished, redeveloped, changed, both in terms of its physical uh, appearance and also its use. We often find that one of the key building blocks to any building, the floor plans are not available, um, particularly with the older buildings where information uh, may have been lost over the years. So one of the first starting points for us is to understand what the building looks like, both from outside, very simply understanding how tall it is, taking photographs of it, understanding the wider context context where the building um, is located and positioned and then start to understand the layout of the building internally and that always starts with your scale two-dimensional floor plans um, we've got some fantastic um, measured surveyors who can undertake this work and we're also using a lot of um, sort of modern technology such as lidar scanning um, to very swiftly and accurately pull the pull these really important floor plans together for our clients. The importance of having good, accurate scale floor plans is that they can then allow us to develop compartment line plans. And in terms of um, what they are, if, if anyone's not, not, not sure, within a building, it's required that that building should be broken down into smaller compartments so that if a fire did occur in one of those compartments, it's contained within that compartment for a set period of time, and its ability to spread to neighboring compartments, i.e. from one flat to the next door flat or into a communal area and down affecting other areas of the building is restricted. Um, and that's based on how that comp uh, compartment is developed. To, to, in order to understand where those compartments should be, you need to plan it out on a plan look at the building, understand what the building is, how it's laid out, and therefore where those compartments should be. What that then allows us to do is go ahead and survey those compartments and undertake what we call a compartmentation survey. If anyone's heard of fire stopping, in order to plug the holes in these compartments where they may have been breached by way of a, a, a TV cable passing through the wall or a soil pipe, um, from, from plumbing passing through floors. Um, we need to understand where those breaches are in these compartments and identify them so that future um, work down the line, contractors can come and suitably fire stop th these breaches. But you can't do that if you don't know where the breaches need to be filled. And therefore, that's why it's really important to have these compartment line plans developed. And if no floor plans exist, you can't do that. So we need to get those floor plans in place. We need to develop the compartment line plans and that allows us to undertake the compartmentation surveys, which also includes your fire doors as well. Um, as Jim mentioned earlier in, in, in the podcast, fire risk assessments um, 
are absolutely integral. They're an absolute requirement to have and have in place. Um, but it's really important to make sure the quality and suitability of those fire risk assessments is absolutely right and it captures what you need it to capture in order to start that process of understanding the risk of to life safety regards the potential happening of a fire event in, in the building. Um, I'll talk about structural um, integrity in, in a minute, Lee, but what, what you can see now is that this is starting to build up a picture where ultimately our building owners can pull together a suite of information so that they can understand really clearly what their building is, how it does or should work, what the problems are and where those problems are and what needs to be done to remedy those issues, to make the building as safe as possible and really reduce that risk to life safety. Um, I think it was mentioned earlier and Jim alluded to it in terms of those different thresholds of height there's a very specific way of measuring the height of the building, um, of a building, in relation to these, these new uh, regulations. Um, it, it's within building regulations, it's referred to in all the guidance, but it has to be done in a very specific way. And again, our measured serve, um, surveyors are really apt at being able to undertake this work very quickly, very accurately, which, which ultimately allows people to understand how tall is my building and what, therefore, the requirements I need to follow to ensure that I'm meeting regulations and also helping keep our residents as safe as possible. All of this work ultimately allows us to support our clients and pull together a schedule of defects. What are the problems in the building? Where are those problems in a building? How are we going to remediate them over time? And we, whilst we wait for that work to be done, what are the possible management arrangements that we might have to put in place temporarily to reduce the risk against those defects that hopefully will be done over a period of time. Um, it's an interesting one because some of the defects, they're quite small, they're quite be, um, they might be quite easy to fix and, and affordable, but, but we know that certain things, particularly fire doors, um, if, if you have issues with fire doors, it takes a long time to understand what the issues are, what doors you need to replace them, ordering the doors, installing the doors. So it's really important to very quickly get on top of um, what your building is, how it looks, how it works, where the problems are, what you can fix over a period of time, and what management procedures you might have to put in place in the meantime to, um, to kind of um, fill that gap between um, the, the, ident the defect being identified and the work being done. Th th there's a lot for landlords to, to take on board. Um, Jim said it earlier, we'll say it throughout this podcast, but ultimately we're here, we're here to help you, both from a technical point of view, obviously a fire safety point of view, but also, as Latrice I'm sure will lead on to, from, from a sort of um, exceptional trusted expert point of view as, as, as consultants to help you navigate what is a comp complex, um, very thorough uh, process, which is all, it's new to all of us. We're all in the same boat in, in this. Um, and hopefully the work we're doing with some of our clients already um, will allow us to then share that good practice um, elsewhere. The last thing I just want to um, touch on lately for a moment is about competence. There's a real focus within this whole plethora of regulatory change around competence. And it's really important to make sure that the people you're working with, landlords are working with, 
are the right people with the right experience, skills and knowledge to give you the information you need to ultimately manage your building so that you can, as best as possible, understand the risks, understand the risk of spread of fire, the risk of structural failure and the risk from the current operational procedures you might have in place and then pull together a plan to improve that over time. Um, I, I hope that covers enough from, from um, th this point of view. Like I said, Lee, th it's a really complex area and there's a lot of information we can share with, with, with colleagues, but the podcast uh, won't allow us the time to do so. Is there anything else you think uh, might be useful for, for clients, Lee? Or Now, what I would say, Mike, is um, that's very helpful. What we can do for clients, if they want a list of all of those technical surveys that we believe are necessary to build up the technical knowledge and insight into those buildings, we can provide that on requests. So if yeah. you haven't taken down detailed notes from this podcast, we can send that. So we've talked about the technical surveying aspect of uh, preparing your buildings for the building uh, safety bill that's coming up. But Latrice, can you perhaps um, explain briefly what in addition to this landlords and building owners will need to do to develop um, ultimately uh, their building safety case. So I suppose I'm describing this as the non-technical stuff, the data and the information that they're going to need to gather to complete the building safety case um, and ensure that they have a proper holistic picture of both what the risks are at that present in time, what the remediation is, it, it, what remediation is required and ultimately how they're going to manage and operate that building. So if you could sort of bring to life the building safety case uh, process, I think that would be very helpful to listeners. Yep, thanks Lee. Um, so before I come on to some of the things that landlords will need to do to develop um, and build their building safety case, I'll just touch on what the overall process will be and where the safety case actually comes in. So all existing occupied buildings within scope will need to be registered with the building safety regulator. And once a building has been registered, the accountable person or the landlord will be required by the building safety regulator to apply for a building assessment certificate when they receive a direction to do so from the building safety regulator so they'll need to wait for a direction from them before they can apply uh, the building assessment certificate application should include a copy of the latest safety case report for the building a copy of the residents engagement strategy and some prescribed information about the mandatory occurrence reporting system that's in place uh, the building safety regulator will issue a building assessment certificate only when they're satisfied that the accountable person has taken reasonable steps to prevent um, building safety risks. So as part of applying for a building assessment certificate, landlords will need to develop a safety case. The aim of a safety case is to demonstrate that the accountable person has taken action to identify, manage and mitigate fire and structural risks. And if there are any gaps, what's being done to address them? There is guidance from the HSE, the Health and Safety Executive, around what a safety case should include. Um, there's also some government consultation out at the moment, which includes proposals around building safety cases. Um, and that also gives some further direction about what to expect. So taking this guidance into account and also our views as subject matter experts, We've come up with the contents of what we think should be included in a safety case. 
So we recommend including an overview of general building information. So for example, uh, the address, the height, number of stories, number of flats, um, construction information. So construction materials, for example, and any refurbishment details as well are really key. Um, should include information around fire prevention and protective measures and structural safety. So very much some of the information that Mike's just covered then. Information around services and utilities within the building. So your gas, electrics and water. And then following on from that, details about property compliance. So for example, on your gas, electric and fire safety programmes, what are the maintenance regimes? Is everything in date? What are your dates of last and next inspection and so on? And then also we think it should include information around your safety management system and emergency planning. So this is all about how the accountable person will make sure that all the measures they put in place work effectively together to make sure the building's safe. It should include an overview of resident engagement. So what are the key themes of the res resident engagement strategy? Um, are there any specific initiatives being used for that particular building? And then just following on from that, um, details around resident profile. So who are the residents? And are there any particular vulnerabilities or additional measures required? And then also a building safety risk assessment. So we recommend including the risk assessment. This is um, one of the areas that is identified that needs to be included legally. Um, and it should cover a variety of worst case scenarios. So um, for example, a fire spreading across multiple compartments on a single floor, um, what you will do to address that, um, any mitigations that you will put in place should be included, that's as, as an example. And then at the end of the safety case, uh, we recommend there should be an action plan. So it's likely while you compile in all of that information, there'll be actions that need completing at a later stage, or there might be information that's missing, or there might be additional inspections and surveys required. So all of these actions should be collated into an action plan. And that also demonstrates that it's a live document and should be reviewed and updated regularly. So as you can see, there's a lot of information to cover and covering all of that information means the safety case for each building is likely to exceed 30 pages. So perhaps 30 to 40 pages. And um, the exact length will be dependent on how complex the building is. Um, and another consideration is that all of that information will need to be kept in the golden thread. So it's important to outline exactly where you will hold that all of that information and where it be kept digitally. So that's the safety case. But as I mentioned before, um, it's a safety case report that needs to be submitted to the building safety regulator. So essentially, a safety case report should summarise the building safety case. And it should provide a summary of all of the assessments that you've made around building safety risks and include um, a summary of the fire risk assessment for that building as well. Um, the, state, the report should explain any of the emergency arrangements and plans for the building. They're really key. Um, and there is some guidance from the HSE um, that does state what a safety case report should not be. Um, so it's quite clear that it should not be a one-off exercise. It needs to be reviewed regularly. Um, it shouldn't be overly technical or complex because it should be a summary of all of that information in your safety case. And it shouldn't be a set of unsupported claims without evidence. So the key there is really to ensure um, that landlords evidence their safety case within the golden thread of information. 
At the moment, there don't appear to be any guidelines about the length of a safety case report, but I think we'd recommend no more than three or four pages. Um, the regulator is going to want to see something that's quite succinct and easy to identify uh, whether you are compliant or not. Um, so, as you can see, Lee, there's quite a lot for landlords to get to grips with there. There is. Thank you, Latrice. So I suppose in summary, what we've tried to um, take you through there are what we class as the three significant stages of the process. So Jim talked about the risk assessment process and preparing the uh, management and operational arrangements for the new legislation in January. So practically, you should be getting on with that now and if you need help and guidance with your risk assessments and or preparing for the management arrangements that you need to put in place for January 2023, then obviously time is now of the essence, um, but we can help. Mike has taken you through building up the technical picture in relation to buildings that are in scope with the Building Safety Bill. And there's a, a menu effectively of surveys that need to take place to gather all the key essential information, which in a nutshell will then identify the risks in that in that building and the remedial action that would be necessary to uh, mitigate or remove those risks over time. So that's stage two, the technical phase of the work. And then Latrice has talked about what I would describe as the non-technical elements of the work, which is very much around resident engagement, uh, scenario planning, and effectively preparing to collate your building safety case and the subsequent summary building safety report, which you will need to present to the building safety regulator. And the beauty of our approach at Pennington Choices here is that we have experts in all three areas and we have teams of people in all three areas that can guide you uh, with as little or as much support as you feel you need organisationally. We recognise some organisations are well ahead of the curve and well prepared for this process, but equally we recognise that some organisations are probably further behind than where they would like to be and may need additional intense support over the next few months to prepare. Ultimately, the regulator is likely to be expecting you to start registering your buildings anytime between April 2023 and October 2023, although further guidance will follow on this. So as they say, I think in, the, um, in one of the programmes, don't have sleepless nights. Um, we can help and we're happy to help if you need any help in relation to fire or building safety. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to speak to one of our in-house experts, please get in touch either via our website or across our social media pages. Pennington Choices, our expertise, your solution.